Here we go. Chapter 13. Last week's title was, and I think it was appropriate in setting up this teaching, Family Matters and God's Matter Matters. Meaning the things that are important to God. They really matter. And because Jesus was teaching from the seashore to address a multitude of people, then he definitely was one who from that position on the ocean was broadcasting. Broadcasting for you and I with the way that we make association of it is through the media of the microphone and of the camera. That's something that's technical. Jesus employed that, that has been suggested that being out there, the hillside and back, that he was using that as a media event in which he was able to project. Now we know that there have been great preachers that have been able to project without any assistance whatsoever with the technical tools that we use. Spurgeon was one of them. His tabernacle in England was extraordinary. I think that it seated over 3,000 people, tiered. No doubt that in the architecture of it, they used stone. And so it would have had, to some degree, reflective properties. But to cut through even what would be an echo chamber is amazing. And he was able to do that. What we do know is that because of his strong preaching and his true preaching is that the word found itself implanted It was implanted in such a way, and James says this, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. And so Spurgeon had the ability to take the word of God, to broadcast it with his voice, and by the spirit have it implanted to save the souls of many. That generation has come and gone, England is highly secular, but it hasn't stopped the word from still being effectual. So that's a lead-in simply to say that God has, from the time of the church, been about the business of broadcasting his word into every available place and to any vulnerable person, and I say that because vulnerability means that probably the soil of your heart has been tilled. And in some of the illustrations that we went through as the parables were being discussed, we're moving through just the first set of them, when certain soils and particular environments are mentioned the Lord gives clarity with regard to the challenges with that, but also a promise with ultimately what can happen when the word falls on good soil. So that's kind of where we left off. Jesus moves into now 
saying something just a little bit different. It's similar to, but it has a difference. This may be identified as spiritual redundancy, in which he gives another voicing of it in a manner that sheds just a little bit more detail or something uniquely that someone else perhaps didn't hear on the first pass. And I appreciate that because very often I will hear after a teaching, I never heard that before. And so really what they're saying to me is that at that time when they may have heard it before, the soil of their heart may have been, if you would, attacked by the enemy. We'll see that that's true. In other words, the seed may have been taken that was, in fact, received. And so the Lord brings it around again. And those are actually wonderful occasions when what we would say is the revelation of God to where you are at presently when at one time before you were there, but it wasn't able to manifest itself. God's a patient sower. The title for tonight has application to that. And so whether it got moved over to the, you know, the whatever we do to print it out, it's called the sower is a grower. Now, in contemporary language, that can kind of get our ears up. He's a grower. So I use the version, which is down the 101 South, Grower's Market. Because on the other side of it, culture says, oh, a grower. But from the farmer's perspective, it's what brings ultimately supply to the hungry. It brings nutrition. It's the stuff that actually we enjoy very much as human beings, but even more so, it's eternal sustenance that we receive. And I've been there before, too. I never heard that before. What helps us understand that? There's a couple of things, but when we were back in Isaiah last week, and Jesus quotes him, and I'm going to pick it up there, hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. This is in verse 14, quoting from Isaiah. It continues, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. And so he attributes that to the dullness of a heart. And it's interesting in terms of the usage of the word dull, because we don't necessarily associate it with the heart, but it would be indicative of what the Lord had spoken on occasion, in which it's the issues of the heart that we find ourselves at issue with and what God is trying to speak to us. So we want to make sure that we don't have issues in the heart that contradict what God has spoken, and the intentions of God, that we are fruitful. A grower wants to be fruitful. The ability to profit in the market is based on what he or she can produce. How much they receive 
may in fact be on the volume that they can produce. The Lord spoke concerning there are those who will have different volumes. But for the person that has different volumes, it means that that's representative of what it is they had, what they could do with it in the time allotted, and ultimately what they were able to bring to market. If they're able to sell the lot of that which they have produced, then they leave, and very likely with a profit. And to that person, it's as significant and as special as the one who brings in trailerfuls of produce. The risk with the trailer full of produce is that what if it doesn't sell? What if it doesn't? That's called overhead that you didn't move. And so I know what overhead can mean to the producer means something's flying overhead that's looking at that as the provision for their beak. They're excited for that. It continues on with regard to this verse. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And so part of this may be, if I put a semicolon to the title, the sower is a grower, it may be as well to add, and we are an anomaly. That's a surprise. That's another way of simply an unexpected surprise. How is it that we're here tonight? Where is it that we have come from? Where were we when the change took place in our life that motivated us to change course of our life? To literally say, I'm laying it down. I'm getting out of town. I'm going to do what I know now is the Spirit's call on my life. So we all have our stories. And basically our story is his story of being one who consummately planted his word, which is the seed, into the soil of our hearts. And on a given moment in time, it took. The enemy was after it. He's after us. But the Lord protected it. Do you realize that in addition simply to casting seed, it needs to be overseen? Seed needs to be overseen. It needs to be protected. Fruit, in whatever manifestation that may be in terms of what is being grown, needs to be protected. It's not necessarily scattered and it's done. It's actually scattering it and watching it carefully, tending it consummately. In essence, that's what God does. When we put in those efforts, that's exactly what the Lord has been doing all along. We're a field to Him. We're one that He knows how to till us. He knows how to create a fertile environment that's able to receive that word. It's interesting because Though some of this was in fact alluding to, you know, eyes that can't see and ears that cannot hear, 
the implication of there being even a dullness or a sleepiness that can come over us, that is true. And I have a voice that's been associated with causing people to fall into a deep spiritual rest. I prepare them for their night ventures into dreamland, thinking of heaven and of the Lord. So though I like to feel that I'm contributing ultimately to a deep rest that you'll have, I know what it's like having sat before my pastor front row with Christy by my side and having fallen asleep. And it was a blink, it seemed like eternity, but when I realized what I had done, I elbowed her and I said, don't tell me I fell asleep. Okay, I won't tell you. <laughs> I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, we're on our way to Mexico. <laughs> hey, Richard, is a calling on you. It's not on staff anymore. Joking. And so we understand that when in the opportunity of being a recipient, we can end up falling into a daze, an unconscious state. I don't, I don't think anything of that of anybody that does do that. That's just the way my voice, that's not a Spurgeon voice, it's a Rich Ablett voice, you know. It's soothing and, and you know, by the time you're always having to go through thesauruses and dictionaries trying to figure out what it was I said, that's a tiring thing. So that's why you're privileged to do that. One of the compelling phrases here that we looked at was that I should heal them. And this can be an argument for a term in theology in which there is the usage of the word grace, that it is so compelling that we cannot have a choice concerning it. But it's not true. Grace is a gift from God. It's free to be received in faith. And it's always available. And it's also able to be ignored. And those who ignore grace will find themselves, if you would, moving contrary to the way of the Lord and to understanding the will of the Lord and to be one who from the outside is only looking in, never able to enter in, but always just looking in. And I've been there too. I've been there walking through a garden that the Lord was at that time showing me actually was me. But rather than being the recipient of the seed, I had ignored the work of grace in my life. And I was entertained highly by my teaching friend who was a gardener and who summoned me on a Sunday morning, just come on up and let's walk through my garden. And so we ate the snow peas and we ate raw corn and green beans. And it was all wonderful, but you know what? It was consumed and then nothing. But God was saying, there's a picture forming here, Rich. But that will not sustain you. Jesus commends his disciples in being able to see what others as prophets could not see. And so this is a commendation. He's basically saying, you get to see what everything 
before me spoke of. What Isaiah said, and that which I now am saying to you, I'm the fulfillment of. And many had waited, and assuredly, you're the ones who now have the desire of your heart actually met face to face with mine. In verse 18, as we pick this up, it is the description, again, of what we've looked at before, just said a little bit differently. Therefore, verse 18 says, hear the parable of the sower. So that immediately summons my attention as to what we just read. Wait a minute. I may have a perception problem here because of hearing that's not actually translating. And so one of the things that I believe is important is that when we hear the word of God, we need to say, Lord, you've already addressed this for those who have an ear to hear. Let him hear what the spirit has to say. He addresses that to the church, seven of them in Revelation. He wants us to hear. And the personality is irrelevant, even though we can get caught up in personality, and some do, and I don't think that it's correct. I admire many pastors and teachers, but I'm not caught up, per se, in their personality. I truly truly want to be one who says, as that word is spoken, I will listen in reverence, and I will apply it as it needs to be, and that's submitted to the Lord and what he wants me to see and what his desire is for me to hear so that I can function, highly function. The parable of the sower is now going to be described. It says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, notice this, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So the consequence of particular seed sowing on this page has been mentioned. The wayside is now being established. And to me, the implication there is that he is a broadcaster. He is a purposeful dip the hand in the seed bag and chuck it. Throw it as far as he can. Meaning that the excuse of any is removed saying, I didn't get the word. I didn't have an opportunity. And today, especially when we have truly, through technology, broadcasting, there's very few, I would say probably none, that will be able to offer that as an excuse at all. The challenge today is that as the word is broadcast, multiple outlets, that what happens is the believer can say, been there, done that, heard it. What's new? And the risk at that question, what's new, is that it opens up another venue for the enemy to say, try this. And one of the things that the early church had to battle, 
Paul in particular, was Gnosticism, a higher thinking, a new revelation. It wasn't sticking to doctrine as had been entrusted to Paul to speak. It was being led astray, buying into a different way to see God, different means by which we could worship him, and alternative readings and teachings. So we have that today. And the Lord will speak to that issue in the next parable, which is on the wheat and the tares. That is the infiltration of the world system in spirituality that asks it, come my way. Let me just chum up with you. We're the same. We're closer than further apart. And that's what this next section will be about. And it doesn't work. That's compromise. The culture asks us to compromise, to coexist. Well, on this earth we can coexist, but spiritually we must resist everything and anything that compels us to compromise the word of God. And sadly, churches have knelt to an idol that the culture has lifted up as a god. As a result of that, we cause confusion to those who need the pure milk of the word and the true seed that is the word from the God who is broadcasting purposefully, throwing it out. And he's not ignorant of where it's landing and its effectualness to the heart that it's intended to, what? Seat itself. The seed is seating itself. And that's the explanation as to how any of us could be here today. We're an anomaly. Surprise! There would be people who in my past would say, what a surprise, you're a pastor? Who would have thunk it? Now we can see by the usage of your word you weren't much of a teacher because nobody uses that. But we're an anomaly. We're a surprise even to ourselves that we could be gathered together and believing in a God who purposefully cast his seed and we received it and the enemy didn't get it. Had years before, many other times, we have an adversary, we need to pray that his inclination is to snatch and that's what he will do. To leave barren, obviously, soil that the Lord said could receive it. This explanation is, I think, very sobering. So one of the things I always want to be able to say is, Lord, help me to understand as I'm hearing the word, as I'm teaching the word. Lord, help me to understand. Guess what he will do? He'll help you to understand. He'll say, read more. Pray more. Ask more that you have comprehension that is purpose to give revelation of me. This is he who receives seed 
by the wayside. And so one of the things we want to be certain to pray for are those who are receiving the word by the wayside. Glad you received it. What are you going to do with it? And that's the generosity and grace of God that he would cast it that far. But you can't remain an outcast. We have people that have remained outcasts, even by technology. Doing great, doing fine. Where I'm at is my line. I don't cross it. Nobody crosses over to my side. Because I'm free. I'm liberated. And so the wayside is not an excuse to not come alongside believers in the church like I did for years. It wouldn't hold up. It didn't hold up. God held me up, but he also brought me low. So the wayside, indeed, grace. He just kept tossing it. And by the way, there was still seed in my heart that hadn't been stolen, hadn't been watered. That's not God's fault. That was me. So when we're here, one of the things that is important to understand is that as the seed has been planted, the watering is also occurring, just the amount that is necessary. He who received the seed on stony places, notice this one and see if this says application to us. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. When I see joy in the reception of the word, it does make me feel very good about that response. But it would indicate here that it's insufficient as joy being the marker. See, with joy, there has to be a compelling reason for sustaining that. And it's not by the experiential. Experiential means that you are artificially going to maintain that joy by what it is you expect God to do. In other words, you're in pursuit of the next spiritual high. We have churches that are operating that way. I think that our worship is wholesome. I love it, whether it's acoustic. I've asked the band in the past couple of weeks, give us big sound. I just want to hear big sound. And so they do. But you know what? That sound isn't harming you one bit because I haven't asked for them to be showy. I've simply asked that it be bold, that it has a permeation. And every time that the worship band is there, I marvel at the language of poetry, the selection of songs. I never tell them what to play. They always play everything that I could have hoped for. And I marvel. So the stony places, the reception of the person that hears the word it indicates has a manifestation of joy. So it's important for any of you in which you see that on one who isn't necessarily known to you, a visitor, you know what that's an opportunity for you to do? Pray. I am so happy 
that you have received the word in joy. Loved hearing your story about how God brought you here. Let me pray for you. And that's a discipline. What does that do when you pray for joy that is authentic? It just hasn't been established to the next requirement, which is this. Be a disciple. Be in pursuit of the one who's given you this joy by his spirit. Be in pursuit of the one who's given you this joy by his spirit. And that is a wonderful thing to be able to pray with somebody over and you've done your job. What have you done? The sower is a grower. You've secured that field is what you've done. The enemy has been put at bay in that moment. Pride will not be allowed to be exalted and you're able to make an established friendship with that person. Spent an hour here this morning with surprise visitors and prayed with them before, listened to them, prayed with them before we left together, encouraged them on what they needed to do. Don't know much about them, but that's not me to question what may be critically an anomaly. In other words, you surprised me this morning. And I'd be surprised if anything could happen in your life. See, that would be wrong. I was surprised, but would I be disappointed if for them that entry was coming from the wayside to experience a moment with God? Do you know what they were coming for? I'll tell you what they were coming for. They were coming from morning worship. Who in the world told them about morning worship? And why is it that we know it's at 6.30, but they showed up after the time? Well, in the wayside, as the seed had been planted, as the motivation was to come, they got distracted. Or they went to sleep. But nevertheless, they came. That is progress in the making. That can make all the difference in whether we see them again or not. So when you see people that are filled with joy, don't make the assumption that they're a spiritual, mature Christian. Make the presumption that you will protect that joy by prayer. And seat that seed in the soil of their heart that the Lord would protect it as it is buried, as it is watered, and as it germinates, as the sun, S-O-N, does his work in warming them by a continuance of manicuring that precious seed in their heart. Week after week, day after day, where they're at is no excuse as to where they ought to be. They could tell me wherever they're at, and it would have a story of, woe is me. And I'd say, no, joy is him. I don't necessarily get in their face and say that, but what I'm saying inside, I don't have the time for woes, nor has God made that an issue any longer for the eternal. There's only so long that woe works 
as an excuse as to why you're not giving your all to the Lord. There's just only so long woe works as an excuse on the wayside in which that's where you're going to get the word is on the wayside. No, pilgrimage to the inside. Look at the world from this perspective out and then go. But don't wonder what's going on here. You know what goes on here. In your heart, you know that this is the place that you need to be. In verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so this is one of the risks in receiving the word. Persecution ensues. Family challenges it. You're, you're one of those Jesus freaks. I became one. It's a term that simply means that he is the central figure and the reason that motivates you for everything that you do. And by the way, when he is the central figure and the motivation for everything you do, then everything that you do is an opportunity in which God is brought to somebody else. That's why he's not asking everybody bail from where you're at to become a minister. This is a calling. And I could have dismissed it, but I didn't. I received it and walked in it and marvel at what God has done with it. But if everybody left their vocations to become a minister, then who then might you no longer influence? And it would be those near you. I influenced actually my colleagues as a teacher, as one teacher influenced me from another school. And I've shared that story. But it only bears witness that another teacher by association of friends that I had that were teaching had met me at their house and he knew it was just a hop and a skip to walk over to my classroom from the junior high. He was a solid believer. He came in and I had my radio dialed up, contemporary music. I have no idea what was playing. But I remember he looked at me and says, what are you playing? I, I don't know, top 40? Top 40? Man, get on some music, praise, and worship. Rich, you're a believer. We're pretty chimes. Get on something that actually will do something. And I didn't have hostilities towards him at all. I marveled at his ability to speak to my heart. And eventually, though he wouldn't have known it, that seed of challenging me in terms of what was my listening diet began to fade as ultimately within years, probably two, as I recall, two or one, I became a songwriter of the very things that at one time I had no appetite for, prolifically a songwriter, all because this guy, who as a believer, came over to me and challenged me and it made, in my opinion, all the difference in the world. Because when that transition had taken place, and I began to prioritize the work of God to be a man of the word, and I drove and drove and drove and drove and drove all week to a place that was at least 45 minutes away, one way 
45 minutes back. And that, that didn't include fellowship time afterwards. I wouldn't get back till 11, 12 at night, then up to teach at 6. But because of that man who knew that there was a work greater for God to do in my life, he spoke that truth into me. Never forgot him. What a gem. And you know what? Here's what. He was a vocational teacher who didn't abandon his calling in order to go higher with God or deeper. He remained an effectual teacher who, as a teacher, visited me as a colleague on the other side of the road and spoke to me as a teacher. That's why where you're at is a good place to be until the Lord has a plan that complements the things that he's teaching you in now and showing you for the later. I still think that if we weren't so itinerant in our vocations, we would have stronger communities in vocations. And then where we're at vocationally, man, do we have an opportunity for invocating. Were you just praying over recess? I was praying. You, you caught me. Yep, I was praying. Wow. Did you get lunch? Didn't need it. I just was hungry to pray to the Lord. I would go to a locker room and pray when it took root as to what God wanted me to do. And boy, did I have joy. I'd sit on a stool just like this. It was wooden, classy. And everything about teaching then became a joy in what also was great tribulation. Preparing me for even greater tribulation when the Lord would assign me to go to a Christian school to teach, in which all hell broke loose. <laughs> but I was ready. And I was ready for it to be over too. So the root is described here as being of necessity because persecution will follow the believer. That's why we're not to be alarmed when all of a sudden it seems like everybody, including family and friends, are against us. But those family members and those friends do not have the Lord in their heart like you do. But you, staying faithful to that charge, will be utilized as an inspiration to them in their time of need. My parents became convinced of my calling when year after year after year after year I stayed faithful to what God dispatched me to do. Before, I was a Jesus freak to them that threw away my teaching degree for, at that time, missions. But my dad was able to see me prosper as a minister. He saw me change in my sport coat and ties and breeches and polished shoes and matching belt. I turned all of that in and began to get casual. He would see me come out of Mexico with a A shirt on, a bandana, sandals and cargo shorts. And he'd go, yeah, that's my boy. No root in himself, so when tribulation comes, persecution arises because of the word immediately. He stumbles. So we need to be mindful of those. 
who not having established a root system, they're vulnerable to the wiles of the enemy. That's what it means. Verse 22, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. So this isn't persecution. This is the cares of the world. This is all the things that right now are on your list to do. Those people who are clamoring after you, clawing for you. Because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Means that there was fruit that was being established. Persecution isn't the main concern here. It's the pursuit of getting something better, working your way up higher. There's nothing wrong with promotion. It's important to understand that critically, Bible characters are indeed looked at to admire in their promotion. But usually in promotion, it's the man or woman of God who has suffered also demotion. And rather than allowing that to wreck their life emotionally, they project themselves steadfastly in the confidence and trust in the Lord, and there is promotion. This is promotion for the pursuit of simply vanity or riches. The Lord provides all of our needs. I know the one thing that I will be able to leave this earth with confidence in saying I was a rich man is because I was named rich. I hope to be able to leave something behind, but I also hope that my legacy wasn't built on that which I obtained, but that which I received from the Lord and was gracious with. So that's the description there. And riches are deceitful if, in fact, you are living for them. Nothing wrong with hard work. It's important. And being remunerated for it, that's also good. Sometimes the Lord has seasons in which that is not necessarily the motivation. There's something deeper. There's something actually richer beyond wealth. And he always makes up for that. 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Coming back to the narration of how we opened, doesn't matter which one of those baskets are yours or the carts or wagons that you have it in. It's the, it's the sufficiency of the reward that God has given to you because in the reception of the ground, it fell on the good soil of your heart. And the way that you get good soil to this heart, which can harden, or as a British band would say back in the 80s, turn to stone, ELO. Rich, why are you bringing them up? Didn't you say you should drift from secular music? I did drift from it. But some of those titles are actually very much prophetic voicings of what happens. There's a lot of secular writers that are actually very close to speaking spiritual truth. They just haven't given credit to the Lord. They haven't changed certain words in it that bring God the glory. It just brings them the glory. But in that particular one, it's a, it's a very catchy song which speaks of emotional trauma and it's somebody that's invested their life in someone it's not reciprocated 
turn to stone when you're coming home. The question is, are you going home? The question is for those who have hearts that have turned to stone because their object of affection has been one who has turned from them. Where is your home? And we have kids that are taking their lives. It's a younger generation thing. And we have older people that are taking other people's lives, including themselves, as a statement of, I have no home, and I don't even know where I'm going. Therefore, I quit. I give. And that's wrong. The indicator here is that one who is the receiver of seed on good soil is also going to be fulfilled in the outcome of a reward for what they have done with it. The difference between hard soil and receptive soil is how often it gets turned. And every time you come to church, every time you choose what you listen to, the receptivity of the soil becomes tender again. I used to love watching my dad work because he could work soil. He could work soil. And he loved working soil. And he loved extracting all of the river rock, which however it found itself up to the plateau we were at, from the lower acreage down below, we hauled wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow that probably equated to, I don't know, 40 yards of rock, river rock. And my dad never gave up. Every summer he'd have us pull those rocks out, haul them over the hill, pitch them. And I marveled at him. Never was able to wear his shoes, literally. He was a size 9, 10. I'm a 7 at best that wears 8s just to look bigger. But my kids wear shoes that are bigger than that. And so I saw him work the soil. And that's a good picture. you got to work the soil. Admire people that are working the soil. Admire the people that actually, with all that they have, are, if you would, moving earth. And most importantly, this earth. They are continually having this soil be soft for the next seed that's going to be planted by a teaching. And this is what Jesus was, in essence, speaking about. If, in fact, the teaching was as concise as 18 through 23, they would have been done with the teaching like 30 minutes ago. And they would have just marveled. Because Jesus could speak in a way in which what we see is sufficient. We expound to be able to move into the areas that perhaps the mind needs to have challenged or illustrations may help there to be understanding because our eyes can become less perceptive and hearing can become less comprehensible. And we don't want that. 